I don't intend to turn this into a baby podcast, but my wife and I recently had our first. I'd like to tell you about Pistachio Joe. The first time in my life I remember wanting to be a father was about 20 years ago. I was in high school meeting with one of the guidance counselors, a big moon-faced Irishman named John Dolan. I was applying to a lot of great schools, and he asked me what I wanted to do with my life, knowing that I had these grand ambitions. He emphasized that none of the places, however amazing or prestigious or fancy, were tickets to the life I truly desired. Some of the institutions might make achieving that life easier, but none would guarantee happiness or satisfaction. That made me think for a bit, and I said that whatever I ended up doing, that I wanted to be a dad. I wanted to make sure I had time for my family, that I wanted to raise children with a partner who felt the same way, and that my career and financial realities should be in pursuit of that goal. And when I told him that, he responded with a look of surprise that not many 15-year-old boys in Catholic high school are looking to become fathers. And it took me like 10 years to get that joke he was making. I had very little game in high school, and really not much ever since. I'll confess to you being part of this conversation, as many of you have since its beginning, and some of you having followed my path out of my last job and wading into this ocean of uncertainty with me, things have not always seemed so sure, even after getting into a great school and having some modest successes. And it's taken a lot longer than I thought it might to get to the point where, as I talk about this and sip my coffee, I'm staring into a bassinet where my son sleeps soundly. Not many of us still want, with the full depths of our being, the things we thought we wanted when we were 15. Even fewer of us get them. Some of the delay was caused by my mental illness, depression, and anxiety we, we've talked about before, and some self-harm fantasies that came out of the worst of those moments. I'm proud that I found a ladder out. And I hope that this conversation continues to be a hand to grab onto if you're the one who finds yourself in that hole. Because of how precious this reality has been in my imagination, I've thought a lot about the attributes I want to pass on to our son, what our society needs from him, and what it needs from us as parents in this moment. I'm glad for once that I've misspent so much of my youth studying and working politics because I feel like I'm equipped for a conversation about first things, about what's important to pass on. And I imagine you, whether you have parenting in your past, present, future or not, have had plenty of thoughts about our social contract and how our values inform the choices we make in elections and primaries and everything down the line. I mean, you're here with me now, so I have to assume you give a damn. There's a part about being a new dad, aside from sleep deprivation, where the news cycle often feels like it's happening to someone else. It seems so distant. Which is new for me. It's a feeling many people have described, not one I'm used to feeling myself. Is this how it feels to, to normal people? Iowa and New Hampshire and Nevada and some debates and Trump and India, coronavirus, they all seem to be happening in a fever dream. But the constant alarm and beeping of news continues apace, and I've recently been able, mercifully, ignorantly, just pure exhaustedly, I, I can't tell, to tune it out. This is not a skill I possessed before. 
And yet I look into his little face, all of four weeks old as I say these words, and none of it seems to matter at first. Because then I take a step back, and once the coffee actually hits my nervous system, bean juice make brain fast, or if I've gotten a halfway decent nap in, and then I start to be consumed with anger in a depth I didn't know previously existed, the rage I feel about racial injustice, or climate crisis, or healthcare inequity, these all become inflamed with the knowledge that the world may well be worse for the tiny defenseless human my wife and I made together. Her and me, but mostly she. I consider myself in touch with the cartography of my emotions, especially for um, an American man. But there is an entire unexplored territory I never knew existed before, and now I'm mapping out new breath of hopes and dreams and fears and, and rages on his behalf every day. And maybe I think to myself, maybe this is better. I've become inured to the flotsam of politics, dopamine rush, and crash cycle of news alerts and social media. Again, most of the credit goes to pure exhaustion. Thank you, exhaustion, for the freedom I never knew I needed. But now I'm even more invested, and I didn't think that was possible even just a few months ago, in the policy of the future that I see in front of me, in a person who holds my heart outside of my body, in his tiny and somehow always sticky hands. And it takes me a minute to realize that what I needed, and perhaps in capital letters, what we need, is what this little boy has provided. A sense of perspective. And something pure to fight for. A dear friend recently got pregnant after some challenges, and I remember telling her and her partner, in an unrehearsed but truly better than I could have expected distillation of all of my core beliefs, why I thought they would be amazing at it. What it turns out I value the most, raising my kid. It also happens to be exactly the same set of qualities that I want in my politicians, but that seems quaint by comparison. But on the other hand, I'm not making a parenting podcast. It's three things, really. Creativity, the desire to take the raw materials life gives you and make something better out of them. Compassion, seeking out others' needs, listening and giving a damn about them. And curiosity, discovering the parts of our reality that don't make sense to you and trying to sort them out. And look, I'm nothing if not demanding. I want him to read in a world that has little patience for it. I want him to retain his childlike joy into adulthood when he'll need it the most, the thing most likely to get himself out of a hole if he ever finds himself in one. And I want him to see in his father a man comfortable talking about feelings, to be unburdened from a social expectation to hide those away. Again, these reflect politics. Because I want someone who reads to be the one who leads. We've had enough of reality television. I want someone who laughs at the small things, finds joy in them, not someone who only gets pleasure in diminishing or debasing others. The better to shore up compassion for when it's most needed. And as we've discussed often, I want to lance the boil in our society of toxic masculinity because no one is improved by it. I hope to prevent it from colonizing my boy. When I think about our current political moment, I'm constantly overwhelmed with the negative versions of the attributes I care the most about. Instead of creativity, a wide swath of ignorance. People who only see the world as it is, with little or no desire to improve it. Instead of compassion, callousness, and cruelty, people who want to preserve what they have and don't want to risk it to make others' lives better. And instead of curiosity, cold disinterest, the kind of person who has an inkling in the back of his mind that the system isn't fair, but chooses to ignore that feeling because it's uncomfortable to think about. 
the person who isn't wowed by the beauty of the world, the person who grew up, the person who doesn't look words up in the dictionary when he doesn't know them. To put a finer point on it, the people I know who are enthusiastic supporters of Trump are ignorant, cruel, or almost always both. And while those are problems endemic on the Republican side of the aisle right now, it's not by any stretch an issue contained to Trump or Republicans. Any Democrat or any independent who isn't putting justice front and center or who longs for a return to good old days is likely just as problematic, ignorant, or cruel. They just hide it better. If there's one virtue of the Trump era of our politics, it's how much clarity we've all gotten about just where so many people stand. Of course, as I say these words, I'm keenly aware that every child rebels from parents in a way perfectly engineered to infuriate those parents at their core. I am sure I deserve nothing worse than a kid just as big a pain in the ass as I was, which is to say, a lot. If you're not very online, first of all, big flex, congrats, you might be confused why I'm calling my son Pistachio Joe in the first place. There are two reasons. First, our dear friend Julie posted a Twitter poll with guesses for what name we might slash should give this newborn. Pistachio Joe, I, I believe a suggestion made by her husband as a joke, got by far the most votes. And while I was loopy in the postpartum room at George Washington University Hospital, by the way, Katie and I recommend the midwifery program there. Those women were amazing. Reading the suggestions and people's enthusiasm for this objectively ridiculous thing made my broken brain laugh so damn hard. So that stuck already. But the other part, and far less amusing, is that during and after the 2016 cycle, I got not a few threats to me and my personal safety, and, and that of my family. I'm cognizant of keeping my kid's name and image offline as much as possible. So PJ it is. And before you guess, it was about 99% Trump supporters, 1% Sanders supporters, and the worst stuff was Trump people whenever I would report on immigration or refugees. The one that sticks out in my mind always, is a guy who told me he hoped that 20,000 Syrian refugees would rape and murder me and my family. Trump has animated the worst impulses in some of us, usually people who would be pitiable in their desperate need for help and connection if they weren't also lashing out with ugliness and violence. At our son's baby shower, I said that I hope the people assembled would support him, even though we didn't know the sex at that time, in whatever his gender identity and expression would be. I asked people to keep in mind that by the time our kid was a teenager, by the time he'd likely be experiencing first loves, first heartaches, it would be too late for us to act on climate change. And afterwards, I asked one of the older parents there, too political? And he said with a ferocity I never saw in his eyes before, you're never going to stop fighting for the best for your kid. Whether you have or want kids or not, you know the value of something pure to fight for. And with that being said, I never want the fact that I am a parent now to be the only thing I'm talking about. So please hold me to that in this conversation. It's at the table, not at the changing table or at the high chair clip-on tray covered in Cheerios. Maybe my interests will change, but so far, as much as I've been overwhelmed by my newfound love and devotion to this FNG, I'm also grateful for the other pools of depth I've spent years digging out. Those interests, my friends, my hobbies, and of course, this project we're all working on together in conversation— all that's keeping me sane, even when the news threatens to drive us all crazy. 
Which brings us back to politics. Super Tuesday is coming up in days. Trump still claims the coronavirus is a hoax. And this conversation is back to regular updates after a few weeks of me learning, and mostly failing, to successfully swaddle Stash Joe. Thank you for your patience, your belief in me, your commitment to this community that we're trying to build together through this conversation. Extra special thanks to our patrons, our table toppers, Sean Gee, Corey Niblett, and one anonymous but amazing person I wish I could name, our check splitters, Jessica Colmey, Brett Weed, and everyone else, so many of you who've chipped in to make this better. I'll have some announcements very soon about how I'm putting your contributions to good use. Jared Rizzi at the table, new dad, signing off for now.